Welcome to the Gateworld podcast. This is episode number 92 of the Gateworld podcast. I'm Darren. I'm David. And I'm Tammy. Tammy, she's here. <laughs> she made it. I did. And this is a very special show where three nerds are going to talk about Stargate. It's open line night on the Gate World podcast. We have a little break from new episodes of SGU. They'll be back next week with the first half of the season finale. But meanwhile, we're going to talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. We've got a lot of calls, a lot of interesting topics, mostly Stargate related. Uh, maybe we'll come up with something that's not Stargate related. We'll just uh, we'll see how it goes. How are you doing, Tammy? doing good trying in the middle of my maze of, of boxes in my house as i get ready to move just chilling otherwise i have aches that i didn't know i could have but otherwise yeah doing good we've lived in this house for 12 years wow so and after the military it's the longest we've lived anywhere for a while i just got back from atlanta late last night spent yeah, four days there it was good good little convention timegate con check them out at timegatecon.org I was one of the special guests. I did some panels. I interviewed Carmen Argenziano in front of an audience, and it was so much fun. We're going to be posting the entire video interview. Carmen has approved it for GateWorld, so we're going to be posting oh, that on excellent. GateWorld Play at some point here. Excellent. Yeah. Now, did, you said that it was um, a, a Stargate slash Doctor Who. Doctor Who. So now does this mean that maybe you'll watch more Doctor Who? All those Doctor Who fans, did they influence you more than Tammy and I have been able to do over the course of the last five years? So here's the deal. The two of you get together, and you pick the best three Doctor Who episodes that you can come up with, and I will watch them, and I will let the chips fall where they may. Oh, goodness. Darren, you're more of a geek than I am when it comes to Doctor Who. Now, let's be honest here. Is this with the open intention of maybe picking up a new series if you like them or is this so that you can come back to us and say i watched your three favorite episodes and i didn't like it uh i'm not going to be that kind of a person who watches something just to say to you guys that see there i i mean that's that's like starting smoking so you can stop you know and i i I have a couple of friends who who did that and well let's face it they're idiots but anyway, I'm going to try Doctor Who, and if it hooks me, it hooks me, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. Okay. Well, I so have you're going, you're, that... you haven't made up your mind. You're, you're going in with an open mind. Give me your best shot. All right. Well, I also have determined that I need to offset whatever Farscape Darren gave you and give you more. Well, Farscape is, is a given. I will see it at some points. You know, Muppets, okay. as, Muppets aside. Okay. Um, as long as I know you're going to watch that, then I'll... I'll oh, I have every little... intention of watching Farscape at some point. just hasn't happened yet. Okay, so when um, I'd like to have a discussion with you about Farscape and Doctor Who before I'm 80. Same for me with you about Lost, which just finished. Uh, I know now. I just have to wait for... You know, I'm waiting on you to get all the DVDs so I can borrow them. Uh, I will be getting Blu-ray copies. I just got a new DVD player that plays DVD and Blu-ray. So it's a Blu-ray player. There you go. So yeah, and I just got a new TV. Yes, (laughs) you're going to want to watch Lost on that 50 incher. That's going to be fantastic. Nice. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So this complete series comes out in August. Um, You can go and pick it up at your local. I'm not down the street from you anymore. It's not easy to get these things to you. It's incentive for you to come home. Ah, this is a fair point. <laughs> so, Darren, what would you think of the Lost finale? We haven't talked about it. We haven't. We've had a couple of people ask us if we're going to talk about it on the podcast. It might make a good little little uh, bonus conversation that we do after the show for people who want spoilers. Maybe next week. Um, but without spoilers, I loved it. I was one of these people who was completely satisfied with it in almost every respect. I would have to agree. Definitely some questions left unanswered, but I think yeah, if you want sure. every question answered, I think you're missing the point of the show. For um, sure, yeah. The the uh, producers of the show said on, I believe, their last official podcast that if you want someone to sit down in a room at the end of the show and basically explain to you everything that's been going on, then go watch The Matrix Reloaded and watch the architect scene at the end of that. That's the, that's the sort of scene that they did not want to do in Lost. 
Because I think if they did, I think the answers would be unsatisfying to a lot of people. You know, you yeah. cannot create a mythology for six years and then explain it in a few minutes. That I mean, people won't buy it. You know, or yeah, they or won't be years, happy with it. Like the X Files did with their finale. In the finale, it was basically all these characters taking turns sitting down explaining their piece of the puzzle. And it was sort of, you know, 95% of it, loyal viewers had already pieced together over the course of the nine years to figure out sort of the major mythology of the alien invasion and, you know, the black oil and all this stuff. And it was just sort of this long, tedious info dump dump without giving anything away, once again, for people who have not seen it yet. Uh, If if you're not into Lost and you've thought about watching it, I cannot commend it highly enough, especially if you're listening to this podcast and on some level are a science fiction fan. Um, Lost is great science fiction because the sci-fi kind of sneaks in the back door after you're already invested in the characters. What were we talking about? What was the question? Hi, Tammy. (laughs) I was just listening. So there you go. So, yeah. Hoping no one would spoil me too bad. So seriously, get together uh, with with Darren and come up with with uh, three Doctor Who episodes that are can't okay. miss. It have to be now. I I haven't watched the latest season yet of Doctor Who. The last, so I haven't. Oh, you know, Matt Smith, you David, haven't seen it all. Yeah, no, I haven't seen him at all yet. All right. So David Tennant's my last Doctor Who, and coming up this Thursday is the Burn Notice premiere. <laughs> What's it? What is it at now? Season four. Uh, Burn Notice is at season four, and they've already been renewed for a five and six. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Good for them. So. Yeah, and it's it's a shorter season, and I did not I wasn't into this show at all until somebody, you know, same thing kind of did the same thing that we're doing to you, David. Mm-hmm. It said, you know, you've got to check this out because you know I saw it a couple of times on TV and was like, oh yeah, okay, it's another cop shoot 'em up type of, you know, you get tired of those. But um, I just really got to enjoy the characters and the whole little unit, and uh, so it was it was a lot of fun and. You know, having actors that are new and actors that you've seen in a lot of other things before. It's a fun show. It's um, so I have to say, you know, but again, it's not sci-fi related so much as mm. it's just a fun show. And NCIS was pretty intense. And we, you know, we have people on, on there that, you know, that like to deviate just a tad. But it's the number one show on CBS. So I got to give them that. Wow. Have you seen yeah. Glee at all, Tammy? No, I don't. You know what? I am not a big TV watcher. <laughs> says I, the person know, who's been talking about before? TV for the past 13 minutes. No, well, you guys are talking about, you know, I mean, I really don't watch that much TV. I watch like you, David. I watch a lot of DVD stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's only a couple of shows. Um, let's say that I watch some TV shows, um, you know, CBS.com, USA.com. They both air their episodes online. Mm-hmm. So I can watch them at my leisure. So I don't necessarily see these things on TV when they're for, when they're run. Um, you know, well, I that's see them the case. I don't that. see anything on TV when it runs except for the news. Well, and that's kind of it. So I can't really say that um, I watch all that much TV or know exactly, you know, what new shows are on, like Glee, and because um, I hear a lot about it. You, you know, will I like can... Glee. I got Darren into it. Well, so you're saying you I... go out and you go out and, and identify shows that you are going to watch, and then you go and find them. You don't necessarily watch your television, your idiot box, but you watch television shows. Yes, that's exactly it. I will go and track them I down if, if they interest me, because then I can shut them down if if it's like okay, this this is no, you know. And I didn't waste time in my, you know, when I could have been doing other things instead of sitting in yeah, front of it's my. It's just a click of the mouse. Mm-hmm. When generally when people say, you know, I don't watch TV, I think of that as I don't watch television to see what's on. When I watch television, I, I have an express intent of seeing something specific and then I get away from it. I, then I don't, I don't go to the food channel or I don't go to the whatever channel and see what's on or see what else is on. Okay, now I have to say when I have downtime, I'll do that. I'll turn on that kind of a mindless channel like Discovery or HGTV or Food Network and I pass it. You know, I may sit down and watch it for a little while, then I get up and go do something. Yeah. But it, it's it's something that I can walk away from without any reservations. You know, I'm not missing something. Yeah, my parents come over and they just turn on the television and have it on in the background. And they're like, David, turn it what, what, to what you want to turn it to. And I say, okay, and I turn off the television. Uh, <laughs> and, man, that, ups, that upsets them. 
that really upset. I don't want the noise in the background. You know, I don't. I don't need that. If I mean, I went to. I was in a hotel room for 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 four and a half days this past weekend. The television didn't come on once. You know, I don't need it. So. Yeah, well, they turn on the television because they want to watch something. Not necessarily. Not because they, they want to watch. They don't even necessarily no. look at it. Just have the background noise. Yeah, they have it on. My mother sleeps with the television on. She has a fear of enclosed spaces, and when it's black, she's when it's completely black, she suffocates. So she always has the TV on. She always has some kind of noise coming from it. It just irritates the hell out of me. I'll turn it on to drown out my husband's snoring. <laughs> Dead serious. Yeah. Fans. Good, good fans. I'm in a cluster of homes here, and there is a smoke detector that has been beeping since I moved in. I'm like, when is this battery going to die? When it beeps, it means it's close to being dead. But there is a smoke detector that has been beeping for about five months now. And, oh. you know, I turn on the fan so that I don't have to hear it. Because mm-hmm. I can't, I mean, it beeps once every 30 seconds. And oh, I couldn't stand it. I, yeah. I, I, I've gotten to the point where I almost can't hear it anymore, but I'm just hoping that sooner or later it's going to die. I mean, how long are they supposed to beep? From the moment uh, we looked at our new house, things were beeping. <laughs> and well, people hadn't been living in them. And we still can't go in and, you know, until until um, we get the keys. We When we go there and we're doing anything like taking measurements or any of that kind of stuff, it's all still beeping, and it's still beeping to this day. We were there yesterday, and it, you can hear it outside. Yeah. You hear beep, 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 beep. Cause oh, they all, you, they're all chirping? They're all chirping. They're, yeah. And there's, when we were there for the home inspection, there are 17 of them. Holy cow. Well, then, of course, you're going to have them beeping. If there's 17, you're going to have seven, some beeps. We have a bag of batteries just waiting. Yeah, nine <laughs> volts? Oh, I know. Yes. <laughs> that should be a federal offense. If you leave without replacing the... The, the battery because I can't find this thing I can't find it it the chirp is is too brief for me to go outside and track down which which house it's coming from so it's or just, you're just not patient enough this is true too but I mean it's just yeah drives me crazy <laughs> should we play a voicemail let's do it let's get into it Hey guys, this is Josh from Danbury Connecticut uh, I had a correction for a gate quibble and a comment from the FTL from last week. You mentioned that the gates have been rather unstandardized in how they work. This is partially true, but not quite the way you mentioned. The thing to remember is we're dealing with multiple types of gates. The gates that the Destiny deals with are the most basic. Very analog, point A to point B, and work most likely the same way the movie perpetrated. The gates in the Milky Way galaxy, and subsequently the Pegasus and other newer gates, work more like cell phones, due to their more advanced nature. It was explained that these newer gates had an automatic updater built in to compensate for galactic shift, which Lightball calls all that trouble with the virus. So if a gate moved, normally due to the planet normally moving, but could also apply to us moving a gate, the system would make note of its new location. The address is still the same, but the system knew that this gate exists at this new address as opposed to where it was originally given its designation. So, if you dialed from any gate and knew where to send you, regardless of where the gate started, when Ball created his own network, he cut those off from the system, stopping the automatic updating from the other gates from knowing where they were. Chances are that if we were to move one of these older gates that Destiny's dealing with, the gates wouldn't be able to dial each other as they couldn't know where the other spots had changed to. Hopefully, the C-chips either aren't too far out or monetary shift hasn't really happened yet. Or perhaps even though the gates are simple, maybe Destiny systems are advanced enough to have some updating built into them, as Eli was able to get info with his handheld. Jury's style out on that, though. On an unrelated note, as for the FTL drive, the fact that it's traveling through normal space could very well explain one of my quibbles with the show. Why it takes them so long to travel a galaxy, but can hop galaxies. In a galaxy, it has to deal with navigating planets, so it has to travel slower to avoid crashing. But between galaxies, there's nothing there so it can ramp up the speed, much like driving in a town versus on the wide open highway. So it could be possible to hop galaxies faster than hyperspace, and yet still be slower inside a galaxy. I think Josh is officially smarter than we are. <laughs> I totally was lost. So you guys have at it. Yeah. Um, we made a comment a couple of weeks ago about um, gates, cell phones versus, you know, points in space and things like that. And, you know, it's it's hard to pin it down from episode to episode because it, it was kind of all over the place. And whether one week the gates behaved one way or a different way the next. Yeah, I think he's right that towards the end of the season, of, of SG-1 at least, towards the end of the series that the gates, for the most part, are behaving more like cell phones. The the ball storyline with him moving Stargates around and ha- having the Stargates correlative updates, that seems to me to be working probably more based on, on the cell phone idea of an address for one Stargate being permanent and not mm. changing if you move it to a different part of the galaxy. How that relates to the older gates, 
that we're seeing on SGU. I I don't know. I don't really remember where the where the conversation came up in, in the context of SGU. It was an aside, really. At what point does the fan need to just go with the flow of what's happening? Suspend disbelief, you mean? Yeah. Oh, what... Ghastly thought. I know. Well, see, and that's what I got. You know, I, I think that's something that uh, – we we lose sight of sometimes when these shows are long running mm-hmm. is because you you want consistency and which mm-hmm. is normal you want to have that consistency. However, it's still a TV show that should have enough you know the, to where they can be a little free from the constraint of okay we screwed up but you know what you know fill in the <laughs> blank here okay you know because you should you know you just know that if they screwed up they screwed up. Well, that's and the whole point just, of mean, retroactive continuity. I mean. Fixing things as you go. Yeah, and so I, you know, you gotta, and you know, no, you know, not kind of on his point, but just more of the overall. Because, like, I personally, you uh, don't care, right? Well, it's not that I don't care. I mean, I, I appreciate that I know that. You know, the, for the most part, I know how the gates work. I know when they move something that it does ca- calibrate itself at some point. But I don't need to know all the ins and outs of it. And if it doesn't jibe totally, it's okay. Yeah. Well, the, that's what quibbles is all about. We we yeah. you know that's why we have it as a different section because it's it's much more technical and mm-hmm. you know they go to the trouble often to make it work technically and and quibbles is where we pay homage to that technicality of the scripts and so where it works and where it doesn't work right and, yeah right. I just wondered about yeah that. we're tech nerds I'm a definite fan nerd I just like all the you know ooh shiny no <laughs> no. Not to make it that simple, but it's it's the overall impression. Hey guys, it's Sean Bishop here in Vancouver, Canada. How are you doing? Just wanted to send in a question for the open line night or, or afternoon or morning or whatever. Um, what I'm wondering is, is um, do you know if the writers have ever considered bringing you guys in to bounce ideas off of for future episodes or, or has this been suggested in the past? I doubt it. I mean, that's probably not realistic, but uh, it just crossed my mind so many times as I was listening to some of the comments you guys have made throughout the podcast. And uh, really, who better than you to give a fan's perspective? So I was just wondering about that. And would you guys be open to the idea if the opportunity presented itself? A uh, second question is, you guys have made uh, a lot of great connections, excellent friendships within the cast and the crew of all three shows within the franchise. And uh, what I'm wondering is, is how has that affected your enjoyment of the show? Do you feel those connections and relationships have enhanced or detracted from the overall experience? If you could go back and, and not have any of those friendships and, and look at the cast and uh, the producers from completely a fan's perspective, not having that inside scoop or inside um, – scoop isn't the right word – but the inside kind of view that you've had, would you do so? Interesting question. Perish the thought that the writers of Stargate should actually... I, I mean this absolutely seriously. I'm not being sarcastic. I would not want them to listen to me and to ask me for my opinion. No. Wouldn't you no. want it for one episode, though? Well, I mean, in hindsight, after the episode of air, it's easy to pull it apart. You know? Oh, that's what we but... do on the podcast, right? We're all about Monday morning quarterbacking. But when you're creating something from scratch, I mean, I'm, yeah, I, I'm working on a novel idea right now. To be to be perfectly honest, but um, uh, it's it's well, a novel's different than a TV series, and I think it would be hilarious if they if they were able to take fan ideas and incorporate them into one episode. Sounds yeah, like a disaster it, of an episode to me. How so? There's some good fan fiction out there. There's some good stories out there that are team, you know, especially a good team something. Mm-hmm. And it isn't, it's taking, you know, a lot of times it's it's a take off of something they've done. So it would have continuity, but yet it would be a fan idea. I mean, I know there's a lot of legal mumbo jumbo and all that other stuff that's involved. But, but how how cool would it be to see... For the fans to see somebody paid attention to them once. I mean, it's you know you've been you've you've been on I the air how long? I definitely am all about the paying attention to, and that's sort of what Gate World has been all about in its in its ten going on eleven years of existence is giving giving viewers a place mm-hmm. to sort of get together and talk and voice themselves and maybe even you know have have the powers that be see what they're talking about and what they're enthusiastic about. Um, but actually creating an episode by fan committee, I, I can't see it. I think it would be a disaster. Even just between me and Darren, 
I don't want that. No, nah, I have I have no desire to see an episode created. No, you're. I know it what I like to watch. I, I I can definitely critique the show in terms of what I think it's doing great. It's not doing so great on, but well, making television is not my skill set. Well, I guess I'm thinking a, a little differently than you are. I'm thinking, you know, taking one idea from a fan. Mm. Not, a, like you're saying, a fan committee or anything like that. I was thinking more in terms of if they, you know, if they were able to, you know, come across one idea or one story um, or solicited, you know, said, you know, like in, in a contest or whatever, submit your ideas and picked one idea, not a, not a mm. bunch of fans, not a group, just one idea. Yeah, I definitely think fans have gr- good ideas, and there's, as you said, there's lots of good fan fiction out there. Um, Star Trek: The Next Generation did this very famously, as as most of our listeners I'm sure know, was one of the only shows in the industry that had an open script policy, where fans could figure out not just how to pitch an idea, because, as you will hear, I think from writers, ideas are a dime a dozen, and anybody can come up with an interesting idea. The challenge is to be able to write a teleplay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Next Gen took took scripts written by fans, written by professional and amateur screenwriters, and uh, produced a lot of those. and And I think we got a lot of great episodes out of it. Yeah. Well, and I think that you know where you're saying, like you know, GateWorld has that ability to allow the fans to speak what they want to, you know, say about different things, what they liked, what they didn't like, what they are more jazzed about, what excites them. But there, there's a it's different when, you know, when you have that one moment where you know that the, the powers that be listened to you. Not that they, you know, read, you know, you don't mm-hmm. know whether or not they're reading you on a, on a, you know, a bulletin board. And, you know, quite mm-hmm. frankly, a lot of times there's so much trash on there that yeah. they skim over so much. I can't speak for anyone else, but in per, uh, per, for me personally, it's never been a desire of mine. Well, maybe not you personally, and yeah. I guess that's the answer to the question. But I was just—it just really intrigued me that you know, if they're willing to do a walk-on role for you know one fan, why wouldn't they do a walk-on idea? It's an interesting thought. Um, hmm. As to his other point, you know, with uh, the the casts. Um, yeah, how about that? You know, it does. It in the beginning, it was like especially with Amanda, it was like, oh my gosh, I talked with her on the phone. Oh, and mm. there she is on screen. I got over that very fast. Um, my father said to me, uh, after I got off the phone with Amanda for the first time, he, 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 he looked me straight in the eye and he said, do not get stars in your eyes. And from that day, I have not. I regularly get people coming up to me who say, what's it like to be with so-and-so and so-and-so? And I'm like, oh, you know, it's a guy. Or it's, it's, I mean, it's, she's a wonderful, or Amanda's a, a wonderful person, but she's still a person, you know? Um, yes, it's kind of magical that she comes into your tele, into your living room, you know, once a week. But still, I mean, the, one of the th- ways that you discover uh, that you can pursue a, a, a relationship with someone who's on screen is if you don't worship them like they are someone who is above yeah. you. Mm-hmm. You know? That's mm-hmm. that's the key is to strike that balance where you don't want you want it to still be special when you have have yeah. interactions with someone that you really have enjoyed their professional work and you know you continue to watch those episodes again and again probably for the rest of your life. But on the other hand, you don't want to put them up on a pedestal so that when you're having real human interactions with them, you're treating them like there's some kind of superstar when they just want to be treated right. like a normal human being. And you are coming across as a fan in the pro- in the um in the process. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean and that's usually, that's pretty palpable. It's pretty noticeable when somebody is is sort of fan gushing inside and trying to keep it under control. I mean, I think a lot of us have been there. Uh, I learned one of the best ways to avoid this is not ask for a person's autograph. Getting a picture with them is a little different because, I mean, we, we, have, we do take pictures with other people. But specifically autographs is, I think, uh, is one of the quickest ways to slip you into that category of, oh, you're a fan and you're, you're looking for something from me. Um, I think and, I've lucked out in the times that we've been up to, to see the different people then. Yeah, this is true. Because you know, now I've asked for autographs, but it's usually either at the beginning or the end for whoever, and mm-hmm. we move on. But I have to say that because now I've only met the few, but the time that was spent with them, um, memorable. Get, yeah, they're very, they're 
they're very, you know, there's there's no different. So it's like, why, you know, they're no different than me. They just have an extraordinary job, and mm-hmm. I I appreciate that job. And you know, so you're thankful that thank you for entertaining me, and thank you for doing, you know, being a good at your job because that's why I'm here. It also um, puts chinks in the illusion of the show. It damages the illusion of it. Going to set, uh, you know, seeing the iris suspended above the rafters, you know, instead of being being inside the Stargate where you think it is in your mind's eye, you know. Mm-hmm. These are all, or or the, one of the, the great things that Darren pointed out to me when he when he wrote up his summary for visiting the set the first time, and then I did myself, putting your hand on the wall of the concrete of the SGC and finding out oh, that yeah, it's. Yeah. It's not that at all, mm. and completely shattering an illusion Sculpted, of at that point eight years. Exactly, you know the the illusion is so perfect. I mean, I have props at work at, at prop works that I stare at, and I'm like, that is that's that's brushed that's brushed metal, and I and I handle it, and it's very flimsy rubber. It serves a purpose on screen, and that is it. Once you touch it, once you interact with it, say a person or an object, that illusion can be broken. And that can spoil it. it. It changes the way that you view a show, for sure. For sure. I would definitely do it again with another show, but not with every show. Right. Because um, there is, I mean, it's magical to, to participate in that world, even as press. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the same time, it, it takes a little something away when you get to see behind the curtain. You know, with Lost, I don't, now in hindsight, I don't know if I'd touch it. Because Lost was such a special show for me. Um, I don't know. I don't know. So, that's it, an interesting thought. For, I mean, for yeah. other shows that are much more, you know, breaking the fourth wall, it's not, it's not such a big deal. Because you know, it's, it's yeah. pretty obvious that this is, this is an act. You know, some of these cast members, I, w- I have to say, in, in doing these interviews and meeting these, these men and women in person, a lot of them are really good at... Breaking, breaking down that, that natural division that's between a fan or even a member of the press and, and an actor who is adored uh, just in the way that they treat you like a perfectly normal human being yeah. and sort of invite you into a relationship to treat, then treat them as a perfectly normal human being. And I would think specifically of guys like Joe Flanagan and David Hewlett, I think, are really just sort of disarming and, and down-to-earth guys. Yep. Well, I, I have to say, I thought Ben Browder was that way. I enjoyed the time that we spent with well, him. We had breakfast with him. Yeah. <laughs> I know. We talked and about was... real-life issues. We talked mm-hmm. about some, some, I mean, some real palpable stuff. Well, and that, you know, and the fact that, you know, here is, he's meeting you for the first time, or any of these people, you know, if they're meeting you for the first time, and they actually, you know, take an interest in what you're saying and ask questions. Yeah. So you know you're being, you know listen to and you're having a conversation that you would have with you know any other friend Mm -hmm. and because you know they're meeting you to you you already know them to some extent because you see them on tv a version of them yeah yes so it's um there's there's a um you already have a comfort level if you're not looking at them as oh oh my god you know it's more you know but you still already know them because you know if you if you like the actor you're gonna have read some stuff about them you're gonna know some things about them paid attention to their work in many different areas so it's it's um it's definitely a gift that they have that meeting someone for the first time and like darren says breaking that barrier almost immediately and then you know what the reverse i um and i mentioned this to you darren over chat a little bit earlier this week meeting diana botsford uh, I mean, she's written an episode of TNG, Rascals. You know, she's directed George Clooney in visual effects. She's writing the upcoming SG-1 novel, The Four Dragons. She was uh, a guest at the um, at TimeGate in Atlanta. She came up to me, shook my hand, said, I wanted to thank you for GateWorld. Fast friends. You know, she she is a religious listener to the podcast, shared with me some anecdotes about some of the past things that we've said on this show, some nice. really funny stuff, and... And over the, I, I spent most of the weekend with her, hung out with her, and That's you know, cool. in multiple points of the conversation, where I was beginning to say something, she would complete my sentence, knowing exactly <laughs> where I stood on that issue because she knew me through the podcast, and that was very disarming. I knew nothing about her, and she knew almost everything about me because it's it'd be one thing if I was an actor and was portraying a character, then you'd know that character. No, you know me through this show. It took me a while to get used to it. 
that's that's the exciting thing about about conventions. I have to say is networking. You know, not with just not with just the cast and the crew, but um, other other mm-hmm. fans. Yeah, you, know, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. So go. Go where? To a convention. Oh. <laughs> this is Whale from Tunisia writes in and says, I was rewatching the SGU pilot and I noticed that Eli was very surprised to see the Stargate activating in the video with Daniel Jackson explaining some of the basics. And I wondered if Eli, as we know, is a fan of science fiction and if the show Wormhole Extreme had the same success as Stargate SG-1, 10 years movies. Don't you find it a little weird that Eli didn't make any connection? What do you guys think? Should Eli have recognized from Wormhole Extreme? Well, Maybe. if you consider the the, uh, uh, the 200th episode outside of canon, which I do, I mean, it oh, basically... Yeah, yeah, the show, I, I, I com- completely consider that episode outside of canon. Then it's entirely possible that Eli missed that that three episodes that came out on DVD. Or it could be that it was such shock that it was real. Yeah. And he did make the connection, and he was just flabbergasted. We never talked about 200 being outside of canon before. That surprises me. I don't consider it canon at all. There There are physical gags in it that make it unrealistic. Like, you know, Harriman saying, I don't have the right outfit. And he runs around the corner and then shows right, right. up in the in the uh, main uh, gate room with uh, with completely clothed. That's you a know, good there's there are little things like that throughout the episode that you know. It was all a dream. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it's I'll just. I'll disagree. A, you think it's real? I think it's part of the show. As far as I'm concerned, if it's on the screen and it's within in line with the episodes, it's part of the show. But it's not in line with the episodes. It's completely outside of the episodes. You know, the, Not necessarily, because Martin is a character that was returning, this and is even true. though it had a bunch of funny stuff in it, it's still, you know, it's still yeah, part of the Martin. show as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, Martin Lloyd is a part of the fabric of Stargate history, and yeah. uh, oh boy, I just rewatched his episode of CSI with the the furry convention. Oh, that was the furry convention. So, yeah, uh, Willie Garson, the actor who played Martin Lloyd, did this episode of CSI several years ago, where he dresses up as a very female blue kitty cat and it's just there's so many wrong things about what's going on with Willie Garson being under that under that mask. Oh boy. Oh, it's a good actor. Oh, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, he's a good actor. <laughs> I could definitely take uh the the uh container of the episode, the team sitting around talking about the script. And the yeah. going through the gate and his canon. But I'd be totally happy to to take the, the tag. The wormhole extreme stuff ten years in the future on the end of the episode and chop that off. Well I mean think about it. Mitchell is celebrating his two hundredth trip through the gate and all the SG teams are waiting off world to celebrate it with him. I mean what's so I mean what's oh, so is much that more what was going on? Yeah, yeah. It's party streamers, everything. So I mean for for Mitchell specifically, I mean why didn't they do that for the one hundredth? Why two hundred? So it, it doesn't add up for me. You know, it's a yeah. fun, fun romp. You're allowed to think what you want. So am I. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Play a voicemail. <laughs> well, I figure you know you got to have the contrast. You guys agree too much. I know this is true. So I'm your contrast. There are. She's our contrast. Turn it up. Hi, my name is Joe from uh, Lancaster, New York. I listen to the podcast every week. You guys are great. Um, but I was just uh, wondering. I don't really understand what's going on with the gates and the Caesar ships. Because from what I understand from the maps that we've seen, uh, Destiny and the Cedar ship started from the Milky Way galaxy and pretty much went in a straight line all the way to where they are right now. So um, my first question is, is, you know, did the ancients have some type of way of updating the gates? Because obviously we've seen a gate change from the SG-1 gate to the more advanced Atlantis gate. Um, so I don't know if they could send updates or, you know, to, to construct a different type of gate. And then if that's true, why are we not seeing a really advanced gate? Why are we seeing the oldest iteration of the gates? Because you would think the farther it goes along, uh, the better the gates would be. And I don't know if this is because they sent cedar ships in different directions and Destiny is just following the original one or what it is. But uh, I was wondering your guys' thoughts on that. I think what would have to happen is that um, the materials would have to change that the ships use, and I don't think they get. I think they get raw materials as they go along. 
um, and that there would have to be a conscious effort aboard the Cedar ships to update the Stargates. I think they just stuck with version 1.0 and sent it off into into the universe and basically forgot about it when they got uh, preoccupied with other things. Yeah, and I wonder, Joe, if I'm not understanding your question entirely, but it seems like the only way to make that sort of a of a periodic upgrade of the Stargates work is if the Cedar ships were somehow manned, uh, which as far as we know, just like Destiny, they're completely automated. So they had whatever whatever technology level the Stargate was at when they left the Milky Way galaxy kajillions of years ago. Yeah. Wouldn't that be an interesting idea, though? The, the Cedar ships being manned by generational crews of ancients. That would be cool. Why don't you hey. use that one, writers? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I didn't want to say anything. Oh, goodness. Well, I figured again with the gates and stuff, I'm I'm very much about just I suspend the disbelief and whatever they want to tell me about them. So I was letting you guys handle that one. Let's listen to Ani. This is another uh, SGU-related kind of tech question. Hello. I'm going about a little tiny detail that has troubled me since Air Part 1. In an episode of SG-1, I believe it was Fallout on Season 7, it is said that Naquadria was created as an experiment by a goal Thanos. If this is true, why there are planets with Nagwadria cores out there? The episode states that this one small experiment nearly destroyed Langara. In conclusion, if Nagwadria is artificial, why does it exist in a core of a planet? This is a good question. I've been wondering this, David, ever since the premiere when you told me that this Daniel Jackson video that MGM put online said that Icarus planet had a Nagwadria core. As far as we know, Nequadria was completely artificially created by the Gould. I think it's possible to create things that exist in nature elsewhere by combining certain elements. You know, I always assume that, you know, Nequadria that has sufficient pressure turns into Nequadria or something. There's, you can take Nequadria and do something to it, and it becomes Nequadria, and that's whatever happened naturally on these planets. Yeah, I would take this a couple of different ways, uh, what we've seen in SGU. One would be that Thanos, the ghoul who originally was doing the experiments on Langara, I'm looking at the Omnipedia right now, I'm not just pulling some head, about 3,000 years ago he was doing this. Uh, either he was already familiar with Nequadria, having discovered it somewhere else, and was trying to artificially create it. That's a possibility. Or, or the other possibility is that uh, maybe these other planets in the Milky Way that we are finding, Icarus Planet and the Lucian Alliance has now found another one. Um, maybe those are artificial as well, and maybe maybe Thanos or other Gould were doing experiments on other planets and were creating the quadri deposits. Well, there you go. So is it completely artificial? I don't know. I think it's inconclusive. Inconclusive. Uh, now, see, I'm going to have to agree. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, Circle gets the square. <laughs> $500. Hi Gateworld, this is Patrick from Germany and I want to talk a little bit about Dr. Nicholas Rush. I think he's a great character in general, but lately I fear that he is slowly losing his edge. You know, one of the main reasons why Robert Carlyle decided to cast as Dr. Rush was that he's very mysterious. <coughs> You're never really sure of what he's up to and all, but in the latest episodes it almost seems as if Rush is turning more and more into a likable guy. I mean, he saved Chloe from the aliens and decided to go after the Lucian Alliance all by himself, although that's pretty dangerous. And apparently he's also becoming the chess playmate of Young. In Human, we also get to know that Rush hasn't always been the way he is right now, so I really fear that Rush might turn into who he was before his wife died. I have a hunch that we're going to see him do something at some point in the future that's going to bring <laughs> us back to square one. You know, a warm-hearted is... Rush... A big, cuddly teddy bear rush. Yeah, don't kid yourself. You're not going to be able to peg this guy. Something's going to happen at some point that's going to make you go, oh, he's the Benjamin Linus of, of Stargate Universe. I mean, this is in terms of a character that you can't peg. As he becomes, I, you know, for me, you know, I love Robert Carlyle. I liked him in everything I've ever seen him mm -hmm. in. Um, however, I have to actually say, because I get tired of the villain in the shows, yeah. that it gets boring to me and it's not you know and again that's like no disparagement on robert because i love his work but i get tired of that character just like um senator you know kinsey any of those in i can take them in bits and pieces but seeing it every week seeing somebody that's constantly conniving and manipulating and um that kind of thing 
to me is tiresome because I don't like people like that in real life, so I have a hard time liking them on screen. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a love to hate that character, but I don't even love to hate it. I just get tired of it, but that's me personally. Well, he hasn't been conniving lately. I don't know if you've seen the most recent episodes, but he I mean, he's been very cooperative and well, he's but even it's going always, on this still, special mission. You know, so that when he does do that, it's going to be like, "Oh." Well, see, and that's you know. my point is you're already alluding to the fact that now, you know, there's some underlying motive that we don't know about yet. Yeah. And so for me, that's it's like <sighs> You know, but that's just me. Rush's motive is one of the chief reasons that I tune in. Really? Yeah, yeah. I want to know what's going on here because I suspect that the answer is pretty good. Well, and I don't mind him as far as being, um, you know, having his own agenda. I just, I guess I don't like how he goes about it. Well, what definitely I think would get on my nerves is the, the young and Rush constantly butting heads. Um, the first half of the season, that's an important part of the story. It comes to a head in Justice, and then yep, Rush comes back in Space. After you get through Space and Divided, I liked the, the fact that they switched that up and don't have these guys constantly at each other anymore. And I'd love it to see them become chess buddies. Um, but yeah, I don't want Rush to, to lose his edge. And the nice thing about, about Gaius Baltar, who Rush has been compared to so much, is that for the first half of Battlestar, the first two seasons, nobody really knew that Baltar was a bad guy. Nobody knew that he had this oh, secret, in the show, uh, yeah. secret mm-hmm. hidden agenda. Yeah, the other characters in the show. That he had this, this uh, agenda and this, uh, you know, this guilt of responsibility. Um, Rush is, is not unfolding the same way by any stretch. Mm-mm. Well, now I have to say I agree with you on the, the budding heads thing. That got tiresome. And I don't mind a character that has, like I said, his own agenda. Cause, and I think he's done some things in ways that are somewhat clever in the show. But when it's just outright mean, in my opinion, or outright, you know, when you see the manipulation and people are just, you know, shattered, that to me crosses a line of the villain. You know, you really become a villain villain then. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one thing when you're just trying, you're, you're going after your own agenda in whatever is going on in the ship or, you know, if he has something he's wanting to do. But it, it's hard for me, I guess, in any show to watch when when you're literally destroying confidence or, you know, or esteem mm-hmm. or that kind of thing in other people. Yeah, that I he's, don't, I don't like. suspect that he's that malevolent yet. Oh, His see, circumstances I, yeah. may make him that malevolent later on, depending on how eager he is to, to complete his goals. So we'll have to see. Yeah. So I There's guess some, I see some, that. I didn't like Gaius Baltar either, though. So, Yeah, there are some plot developments coming up. Uh, one major plot development in the season finale uh, and heading into season two that uh, if you read spoilers, you know about, about uh, a shakeup that's coming, and that's all I'll say. Yeah, it's definitely going to change the, the chess pieces a little. Yeah, once we see the... the chess pieces moved around a bit and some different chess pieces on the board and we have all of season one to go back and talk about i'm going to be interested in in sort of speculating about rush um because right now heading towards the end of season one he's kind of he's kind of back on young side again in a lot of respects they've sort of put the past behind them and uh, i i think i'm definitely gonna have these common common enemies now I'm going to have to go back and watch the first season as a whole to get mm-hmm. a better grasp on mm-hmm. a couple of the characters because, you know, there's there's been too many things that um, that make me go, ugh. But seeing that was – but I had that same feeling in Battlestar. The first two seasons, I liked, I liked the show. But the second two seasons, there was a lot of things I didn't like about the show, and I liked less about the show than I didn't like. So, and I, you know, that's where I'd have to say I'd have to go back and watch the whole season as a whole to determine do I like more about it than I don't like or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And um, because, and it's the characters, and I understand it's a, it's a you know, this is a character-driven show. But um, just as, you know, when Battlestar Galactica, it was a character drama. It was a character-driven show with a sci-fi overlay. And so when I'm, when I'm, was watching Battlestar and the P- and all the characters to in my opinion start becoming unredeemable in different ways 
then it becomes no more fun for me to watch. You know, I, I can, you know, if I want to watch a bunch of people be unredeemable or be idiots, I'll turn on Jerry Springer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you want to have qualities that you, you know, in these people that you can, in, in the different characters, you want to always know there's something there yeah. that you can identify with Relate or to. cheer for or root for. Yeah. yeah. I'll be really interested to see once we get into the summer and people have a chance to watch the whole series again from start to finish, to watch the whole season again, 20 episodes from start to finish, you know, pick it up on Blu-ray, watch it in high def uh, without all the, the network screen clutter on it, and watch those 20 episodes over the course of a couple of weeks and see if the show leaves you with a different impression than mm. it did being broadcast over the course of, of Personally, I think it will. I have to say, I think it yeah. will because you don't have that big long gap in between ten and mm-hmm. eleven. There you yeah, go. Yeah, that four month gap was a killer. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. definitely see this as chapter one, this first season mm-hmm. of a, of a novel. Be interested to see where it goes. Yeah. Here's an interesting email we got. Donald wrote in and says, "I just had a thought while watching the episode Human. What if the ruins are the remnants of the original Furlings?" And that the blue aliens, aliens from space, are actually descendants of these furlings from the Great Races Alliance. The Asgard, Thor, mentioned in SG-1 that the furlings had moved beyond the known region of space, and Destiny is certainly in an unknown region of space. Wouldn't it be cool if Stargate Universe would finally reveal the furlings? I don't like to be a smartass, but um, the Asgard revealed in the fifth race that the ancients had moved on. From our region of very... space. And, uh, yes, thank you. And they, That's right, I mean, that was... They ascended. So. to the ancients. So, I mean, the, the, we, we saw furling technology in uh, the uh, Season 6 episode, Paradise Lost. I just wish the furlings would be put to bed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's I'm, a fun I'm, idea, though, furling. that they could be furlings. I think it's a fun idea. But I don't, I don't yeah, think it's it. fun. But yeah, it's, I'm, it's I'm, one I'm... of these questions like the ninth Chevron where you kind of feel like, you know what, writers... It's been 12 years, you know, give us some, some furling something just so that we don't have to speculate about every race that comes along. Maybe they're, Whether it's maybe they're furling or not, yeah. Hey, Darren and David. My name is Jeremy from Rexburg, Idaho, and my question is for the Open Line Night. If the Borg and the Replicators were to meet, who would win in battle? The Replicators, the ones from Stargate SG-1s, the bug ones, versus the evil Borg of Star Trek. The Borg, the Replicators, a classic confrontation. There's a sci-fi crossover in the making. We just have to call Paramount. I think the big question is, are the Replicators immune to assimilation? Because if they're not immune to assimilation, then the Borg would win. Jeremy specifies the Bug Replicators, which is kind of a different animal. And, you know, you also have different generations of the Borg. I think if you take... The Borg, the last time we saw them, like, end of Voyager stage Borg. I got to give it to the Borg when you've got nanoprobes that can do pretty much anything the writers want them to do. Yeah. I think I mean, it would be a draw. You think? Yeah, because the Borg could assimilate them, however, then they would replicate, so the replicators really aren't losing. But if the replicators, if the foundation, the replicators communicate with each other, and if, if the Borg nanoprobes change the base code of the replicators, the replicators are enslaved. Man, that is a geek moment. But their sole purpose <laughs> is to replicate. This is true. But if the Borg, we, using their nanoprobes on them, change their sole purpose to serving the Borg... So, okay, you're, just, okay, you're talking about enslaved. Okay. But yes. see, to me, they're, 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 not thinking, they're not thinking sentient to that extreme. Right. They have instinct. So to me, their whole purpose is to replicate so they don't really lose. If the Borg nabbed onto them maybe you're correct they would be enslaved per se however but if the replicators found borg technology first i think it would go the opposite way (laughs) well this is why i like episodes like enemies the the sg1 season 5 premiere because most of the time when we saw the bug replicators they were just an infestation you know they were spiders who were running around thor's ship or running around the sgc and the problem was just that there were a lot of them and they were hard to stop. In Enemies, we saw them flying an alien ship that was okay. super advanced and had advanced weapons. I mean, that's that's sort of when you think about them going up against an advanced enemy like the Borg. Think about the fact that that they're not just a plague. 
you know, they take over an advanced ship and can fly it around and shoot its weapons. Use it to further their overall goal, which is replication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I think we hit just about all of them. We did. And if we didn't get to your to your uh, voicemail this week, uh, we'll we'll check in and give it a listen, and hopefully we'll get to it next week. Um, you can always call in to the podcast hotline and and tell us what you're thinking about. Doesn't have to be about the episode of the week. Doesn't have to be about the listener question. Uh, if it's Stargate related or or science fiction in general, we want to hear what you have to say. But this week's listener question, Friday on Sci-Fi, is going to be part one of the big two-part season finale of Stargate Universe, Incursion, part one. So call into the hotline and tell us what you thought about that episode, and we'll play as many as we can. Uh, Probably just about everybody, I think, usually makes it. Strap on a feed bag of buttered popcorn, tune in, and tell us what you think. And that number is, let's have Tammy give it in her delicious Tammy voice. If you want to give feedback, call the hotline at 951-262. One six four seven. That's good. I feel dirty. <laughs> <laughs> or you can email Darren <laughs> in a brief audio <laughs> recording, or leave a comment on the podcast feedback thread. What's uh, the email address that they can send to you, Darren? That is webmaster at gateworld.net. Yeah, yeah, that was good. <laughs> yeah, it was good enough. There you go. And only attach a picture if you're attractive. <laughs> Gosh. Your, your mom says you're trash. <laughs> what about June 16th? You know what? I'll say June 16th. It is the second half of the SGU season finale, Incursion Part 2. Uh, June 16th is our show. And as you might anticipate, we'll come back after that on June 23rd. And our first topic for the summer break is going to be the SGU Season 1 Recap. We'll talk about the entire season and give our overall take on the season. You can always visit us in the podcast feedback thread and be sure to check out Darren's glorious life-saving show notes. Do it. Show notes save my dog. I don't like dogs. I know. He doesn't. He doesn't like dogs. I'm a cat person. Yeah. 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 Clearly. Um, I, have a li- I have a little voice in the background yelling, I wake up! Oh, well, perfect timing then. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in from GateWorld.net. This is Tammy. This is David. And this is Darren. And we'll see you next week on the GateWorld Podcast. I'm moving.